Hey, thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. Anytime we are confronted with the death of a follower of Jesus, whether it's a prominent individual like Queen Elizabeth or just some average peasant like the rest of us, uh, we can't help but recognize that that death represents the satisfaction of a promise. Like the old hymn says, on Jordan's stormy banks I stand and cast a wishful eye to Canaan's fair and happy land where my possessions lie. I am bound, I am bound, I am bound for the promised land. Who will come and go with me? I am bound for the promised land. In our journey through Joshua, we see something remarkable happen today as God keeps his promises. They were standing on the stormy banks of Jordan, but now they have been brought through, and they are experiencing the satisfaction of this earthly promise. But even as we see the satisfaction of this promise happen, we also need to recognize that this is a foreshadowing of God's satisfaction of an eternal promise. Of course, Israel has crossed the Jordan River. They have reaffirmed their identity as the people of God. They have their eyes on Jericho, but in the same way they identified with the physical sign of the covenant through circumcision, they also must reestablish their identity as the people of God through their worship and through the realization of God's promises. Today we're only looking at three verses from Joshua chapter 5. We'll be beginning in verse 10 in just a moment. And as we work our way through these three verses, you will actually also see uh, a, a, some foreshadowing of the Lord's table, which is prepared before us. And I hope we understand how Israel's worship and feast in Canaan even points ahead to our own worship and our own spiritual feast in the Lord's Supper today. If you've got your Bible open to Joshua chapter 5, I invite you to stand with me as I read these words from Joshua chapter 5, beginning in verse 10. While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. And the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased the day after they ate the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. Father, I thank you for your words. I thank you for the satisfaction of your promises. I thank you that you are always faithful and that even as you keep your earthly promises that we as God's people today look forward to a great heavenly promise secured for us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray, God, that as we consider how you work and move and, and establish this nation in Joshua, that we would look to them but look beyond them and see how you want to work and move in us as well. Uh, we thank you for your words. May we understand them correctly today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. You know, I love how the biblical writers give us a timeline of events here. We don't often get a timeline when we see scriptures, and so sometimes we have to go to our study Bibles, or, uh, or maybe you use that rich theological resource known as Google to, uh, to find your answers to Bible, the Bible's greatest questions. Don't trust everything Google tells you. Uh, I understand for those of you who are under the age of 18 that I've just spoken heresy, but trust me, I'm telling you something that's very valuable. Don't believe everything that Google says. Here, Joshua actually does give us a timeline which helps us to keep things straight and understand the span of time that we are dealing with here. 
Sometimes when we read the Bible, things take longer than we think they do. Sometimes things happen faster than we think they do. But here we actually get a timeline. We know what's happening. They've crossed the Jordan River. They're camping on the, the I guess, the, the west bank of the Jordan River, the east side of the nation of Israel. And we know that Jericho is watching. They've been watching. They know what God has done through these people even up until this day. Rahab actually gave us that insight when we met her a couple of weeks ago. Chapter 5 begins with a statement that says the kings of the Canaanites, they had observed everything. They were filled with terror. They were filled with a sense of dread. But it is good for us to recognize that there is time passing here. We're told back in chapter 4, verse 19, that the nation crossed the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month. doesn't matter what month of the year that is. That's irrelevant for us today. But we do have a time stamp here. We've got a moment. We know that they crossed the Jordan River on the 10th day of the first month. And we're told in chapter 5, verse 10, that the nation kept the Passover on the 14th day of the first month, which means that since they've crossed the Jordan River, we've had a span of how many days, math majors? We've got four days passed. So in four days, we understand some things have happened. We talked about that last week. It's been a rough four days for the nation of Israel, but it's been something that's been important nonetheless. But four days have passed. They've crossed the Jordan River. They've been camping, doing some surgery for four days, and now it's time for them to keep the Passover. And I read this, and again, I like to think beyond the text in terms of what's happening, and, and, and again, I, I've told you I love the idea of logistics and, and all of those different things that, that go into this that the Bible doesn't necessarily report on, but I also, thinking about the battle plan, because there's a battle looming, Joshua knows, I mean, he is a general, he is a military general, there is a fight that is about to happen, and so Jericho is there, they can see Jericho, they know that there is coming a moment where they have to go engage Jericho, but the clock is ticking. And if Joshua is hoping for any element of surprise, when it comes time to conquer Jericho, the element of surprise is fading away. And while Joshua may have been hoping for the opportunity to move fast quickly, God's plan looks to be completely different. And I think it's important for us to understand this because we lose this perspective so easily because we are an impatient people, but we should understand this. Obedient to God, obedience to God never takes too long. Obedience to God never takes too long. And man, we're impatient. If you want to know what impatience looks like, get on 341 at 2 o'clock this afternoon and you will understand the definition of impatience. You will become a road rage, like demolition derby driver trying to get down this road during the middle of the Ironman race at 2 o'clock on a Sunday afternoon. Like, how fast can I get around these people? You know, and you know, you know you can't pass, there's cars coming every direction, and, and you are, that is the definition of impatience. And we understand that beyond just the frustration of today. We want things now, we want things on our terms, that's what we want. And we all do that. And we can say, Lord, I want to be a patient person. We've often heard, don't ever pray for patience. But we can know that patience, forgive the cliche, is a virtue. But just because we know it doesn't mean that we want to embrace it or celebrate it. We want it now. We want it on our terms. Everybody else can deal with it. But what's happening in Joshua? We know God is working. We know that God has a plan. 
And God has a message for this nation. If there is anything that we understand for this point, is that you're going to do it and you're going to do it on my terms. You're going to cross the Jordan River on my terms. You're going to conquer Jericho on my terms. You're going to conquer Ai on my terms. You don't get to define the terms. You have to do it the way that I've said. We need to be able to understand that God defines the terms of our lives. And when God defines the terms, God defines the timing as well. And again, that frustrates us. We pray and we, God, I need it now. And sometimes when God doesn't answer immediately, we think it's a no, but sometimes God's answer is simply not yet. It's not time yet. It's not ready yet. God has a time. And you gotta know that Joshua's generals, his military leaders, his, his war hawks, man, they're getting restless Four days have passed. I mean, what's Jericho doing during these four days? They are working on their defensive strategy. They're coming up with, with a plan to, to, you know, to, to fight off these Israelites. They've got their hot tar that they've got on top of the walls. They are ready to do anything that they can to repel this invasion. And you know Joshua's military guys are like, Josh, we got to go. We had not got time for all of this surgery and all of this worship stuff. We've got to go because Jericho is right there. And from a military standpoint, man, Israel's sitting ducks. They're, they're there on the bank of the Jordan River. They're exposed. It's not like they've got cover. There's a heavily fortified city that's within view. And they are sitting there, and they have got all the protection provided to them by the tents that they have been sleeping in for the last 40 years. That is the, uh, you know, they don't have armored personnel carriers, they don't have tanks, they don't have those things. They've got tents that they have been dwelling in. They were exposed, they were visible, there was nothing strategic about their location. But what mattered at this moment in the life of this nation was not the strategic place in which they camped or the protection that they had. What mattered most in the life of the nation at this moment was their obedience. That's what mattered most. Because again, I'm thinking, man, if they could get Jericho, instead of all those tents, they got a fortified city that they could have. They got, and what's funny is when Jericho comes around, God doesn't even save the city. Like It's not like they get to go take the city and, and have the walls there that they can then defend. Like God wipes it out and puts a curse on whoever rebuilds Jericho. And so they don't even get to keep Jericho. But man, while they're sitting here right now, that fortification would be helpful. All that religious stuff, we can wait. Let's wait until we get Jericho. Then we can go inside the walls and have Passover. Then we can go inside the walls and do all this religious stuff. But that's exactly the point. All this religious stuff was about the nation reaffirming its covenant with God. They were God's people. There was to be no doubt who they belonged to. And part of that obedience was keeping the Passover. And the timing of the Passover isn't unimportant either. The first Passover took place, if you go back in the book of Exodus, the first Passover there in the, book of, in, in the nation of Egypt took place on the 14th day of the first month. The same God that delivered the people of God from Egypt through the blood of the Passover lamb kept his promise to the people. And they celebrated with that same Passover lamb, that same remembrance this has been a building theme for us in these first five chapters, but it's something that we need to articulate because we forget this so easily. God always keeps his word. God always keeps his word. Again, you know the history here. 
the nation took a very winding pathway to get to the point here where they're camped at Gilgal. Again, you go back to the, the Exodus. You go back to the first Passover in Egypt when the first Passover lamb was slaughtered. It took a long winding path to get there. It took a, a whole generation to get to that place. But the point is, is that God said they would get there. God had promised them that they would get there. God said this would be their land. God said these things. God had promised Abraham generations ago that they would inherit this land. And they are now poised and ready to become a permanent nation, not a wandering people, because God keeps his word. God keeps his promises. Do you ever feel like sometimes, though, maybe God doesn't keep his promises? I bet there were times during the journey of the nation of Israel that the people of God questioned whether or not God was going to be faithful. I can't imagine 40 years, 40 years of of not realizing God's promises. I can't imagine 40 years of of funerals and seeing the people who, who came out with me begin to perish in the wilderness. 40 years. I'm sure that there were times during the journey that God's people said, is he really going to do what he says he's going to do? I mean, again, there were moments of rebellion in the wilderness. There were painful moments of doubt that undoubtedly took hold of God's people. But what these people lost sight of was the fact that every morning there was sustenance waiting right outside their tents, a very simple reminder that God was taking care of them. I bet there were those who took manna for granted. Just what you did every day. Didn't think about where it came from. Didn't think about what what left it there. I bet there were people who took it for granted. Uh, If they did take it for granted, I can assure you that on the 15th day of the first month, they didn't take it for granted anymore. Why? (laughs) Because God quit sending it. There was no more manna. God quit sending the manna, not because he didn't care. It wasn't because God said, all right, y'all go hungry now. It was because God had kept his word. He didn't need to send manna anymore. There was no reason for him to send it because they were now in a land that was flowing with milk and honey. There was plenty of food to sustain them all. And and again, logistics, just think about the abundance of God's promises. You've got a million people who suddenly moved into a campground. And there's enough food growing in this region that this nation could find not just scarcity, not just a little bit to get by on, but they found enough to to feed the entire nation, that that no one had to go hungry, that there was no scarcity, that there was abundance, there was plenty of food to sustain them. And, And God even says here that there was enough to sustain them for a long time. We often lose sight of the simple things that God does to remind us of his consistent care. Again, for Israel, God's provision of of food in this regard, God's provision of the produce of the land there for that entire year. Simple things, but certainly reminders of God's faithfulness and God's promises. I think we do the same thing. I think we sometimes forget the little things that God does that are constant, continual reminders of his care. You know, when we pray, he hears us. Think about that. When we pray, he hears us. I mean, I think about my house, and, and what happens in my house is that, is that my spouse can say something in another part of the house, and I can hear that she has said something, but I did not understand what she said. And I know I'm the only man who has that problem. 
Uh, nobody else has that issue. Uh, I saw an internet meme the other day that, that my wife said, from the other side of the house, I knew exactly what she was talking about. Um, I mean, again, you can hear, but you may not understand. And I think that, think about that, that there's a, a God in heaven that's completely other from us. I mean, we're created in his image, but, but, but he's so holy and we're so not. He's so, he's so righteous and we're so not. Yet when we pray, he doesn't just hear the words as if, he doesn't just hear the sounds coming from our mouth. He hears the words. He acknowledges the words. This God of the universe even understands the heart from which our prayers are prayed. That's amazing when you stop and consider that. What about when we sin? When we sin, he is faithful to forgive us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Uh, he didn't have to do that. He didn't have to do that at all, but, but he does do that because he loves us, he cares for us, he, he meets that need. When, when we are weak, the Bible says that his power is perfected in our weakness. And even in our weakness, we see God's hand is strong. And think about this. We are securely held in his hands. I love the image that, that Jesus prays, that, that those that has been given to him will never be let go of his hand. Now think about that. The one who holds the world together, the one who holds the universe together, holds us firmly in the grasp of his hand. You, know, you may not wake up thinking about those things, but those things are very profound when you stop and realize what God does on a daily moment-by-moment -moment basis to show us of his everlasting care for us. And so when we think God's not faithful, God's not keeping his promises, God's not doing what he said he would do, the reality is this, it's not God who drifted away. It's not God who's not listening. It's not God who's not paying attention. It's not God who drifted away. When you read the Bible, you can't help but see that God's people are not always consistent. God's people have a pattern of inconsistency, if anything. But in the middle of all the inconsistency of God's people, God's plan is never thwarted. From the promise of God in Genesis chapter 3 that the son of Eve would crush the head of the serpent to the promise of Abraham that his descendants would be a blessing to all nations to the picture of the atonement painted in the sacrifices that God would require to the unending reign of the line of David everything pointed to the fulfillment of God's promises in Jesus and throughout all of these things and God's people are scattered all over the place moments of faithfulness, moments of rebellion, moments of idolatry, moments of repentance, all over the place. But God's plan continues. And God is right there every step of the way, steadily making his way to the cross to provide for our redemption. If you ever have cause to doubt God's faithfulness, you can depend on the full counsel of the word of God and see that God always honors his promises. But even as we honor God's faithfulness and celebrate God's word that he's kept his promises, you can't help but see that there's something else at work here. I'm going to make a controversial statement. God helps those who help themselves. Sort of. Pay attention to the sort of. I should have underlined and made that bolder just so that you would see that and pay attention to that. So that's not in the Bible. If you go out of here quoting your pastor saying, and my pastor said in the sermon, God helps those who help themselves. You're lying, that's not what I said, okay? There's a qualifier there, there's a sort of. 
a very important theological qualifier, the word sort of. Well, why is it sort of? Well, here's some things you can't do. You cannot help yourself to be saved, right? You cannot help yourself to be saved. You cannot help yourself into heaven. It's not like you get there and say, I got the door. No, 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 you get let in. You don't get to get it yourself. The Bible even says that every good and perfect gift comes from God, so you can't take credit for anything good in your life. So if you got something good going on, it's not yours. God gave it to you. Everything that's good in your life came from God. So even if you help yourself, you've only helped yourself because the grace of God enabled you to help yourself. Okay? Just so we're clear there. Nonetheless, there is something to be said about a little good old-fashioned hard work. The Bible says the people ate from the crops of Canaan that year. Well, where'd they get those crops? had to work for them. They had to work for them. The grain didn't harvest itself. The vegetables didn't jump off their own vines. The grapes and olives didn't just show up at the dinner table. But neither did the manna. The people still had to go and work for it. Now, keep in mind this. This didn't diminish God's care for his people or their fulfillment of his promises. Just because, just because they had to go out and get it, just because they had to go out and work for it, just because they had to go out and harvest it, does not mean that, it, that God somehow didn't keep his end of the bargain. But you know what? I bet the crops of Canaan tasted all the sweeter since the people had to actually go out and get them and bring them in. In other words... You may not have all the promises of God in your mind. Uh, you, may, you may have that in mind. You may have a firm grasp on where you've come from. You may have everything right between your ears. But if you don't put in the work that it takes to allow these things to bear fruit in your life, you're probably not going to see fruit. Practically, what does this mean? Well, for example, if you're a student... You still have to study. Uh, you can pray, Lord, let me pass the final. But guess what? If you don't study, God may not answer that prayer the way you want him to answer it. Uh, teachers, I mean, try that with your kids. Say, all right, kids, let's not study for this test. Everybody just go home and pray. Don't study, just go home and pray, and let's see what the results are. There's probably a lot of Fs on that final. None of the athletes who competed in this race today None of them are going to get through the race simply by praying their way through it. Now, granted, there was some praying going on. I saw some guys changing flat tires on the three-inch shoulder on 341 today, and I don't know if they were praying men before they wrecked, but they were praying people on the side of 341. There was some praying happening there. But how'd those guys get there? How'd those ladies get to, get to that place? They put in hours and days of training, they did the work, and they may be praying people, but they still did the work. All that to say, even when we know God is faithful and keeps his promises, I still believe God honors a hard work ethic, particularly when it comes to the things of God. Paul said in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, he says, whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Everything, even the work that we do, we do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, he says, uh, I'll just read the last half, if anyone is not willing to work, 
let him not eat. Now, the Bible's real clear here that, that God honors hard work. God honors the work of seeing his promises come to fruition. God honors that. God honors the work of his church. When we as God's people are busy in our community, when we as God's people are busy pointing people to the cross, when we are putting our hands to the plow for the kingdom of God, I do believe that God honors that work. We know God wants everybody to come to faith in Jesus. He says that in his word. But that happens when God's people put their hand to the plow. That's how it takes place. We understand God is faithful to keep his word. But God is faithful to keep his word, and we should be working to see that, those promises satisfied in our own lives, in our own communities. And we should not forget that. As Christians, we have a very tangible way to remember the fruit of God's promises. We, tonight, will celebrate the Lord's Supper. Some may call it communion. And what's interesting about the Lord's Supper is that it's not an all-you-can-eat buffet with all the finest produce of the land. It's not a trip to the salad bar. It's not a trip to the Golden Corral. In fact, it's simple. It's just two simple things. But two things that have rich meaning. Two things that are intended to remind us of just how good God is to keep his word. Jesus told his disciples when he initiated the Lord's Supper, he said, whenever you do it, do it in remembrance of me. God didn't tell the nation of Israel that they were to be reminded of his faithfulness every time they ate a tomato from a Canaanite garden. I bet they didn't have to be reminded of that, though. We don't have to take the Lord's Supper to be reminded of the gospel, but when we take the Lord's Supper, the gospel story is present on our very lips. And it serves as a potent and powerful reminder that as long as Christians continue to dwell on the earth, that God has kept his word. But it's also a reminder, and it occurred to me as I was thinking through this today, the Lord's Supper is a temporary thing. We won't celebrate the Lord's Supper in heaven. Why? Because the Lord's Supper is a memorial. It is something that's designed to remind us of God's faithfulness. It's something that we do to remember what Christ has done. But church, there will come a day when we cross Jordan's stormy banks when we will no longer need to remember because we shall behold him. You don't have to take the Lord's Supper to remember the Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrifice when you stand in the very presence of Jesus. John saw in the book of Revelation something that looked like a lamb that was slain. Jesus, in all of his glory, in all the satisfaction and fulfillments of his promises, in all of his faithfulness from generation to generation. And while we gather on the earth and we gather for worship today, we're reminded through the bread and to the juice of God's faithfulness to his word. 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 3 or chapter 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 9 says the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness but he is patient towards you not wishing that any should perish but that all should reach repentance. The promise is extended to each and every single one of us today. And then in the next few moments when we make ready the table perhaps this is the day that you want to take God up on that promise. He has been patient to you. He has been patient toward you. And he is eager to receive you as his child. 
as we prepare the table, would you receive this promise of eternal life today through Christ? It's important that as we share in the Lord's Supper that we do so in a worthy manner. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth that many were even falling ill because of the disregard they had for the sharing of the Lord's Supper. And so in these next few moments, I'm gonna invite our deacons to come down and help serve, and we're gonna prepare the table. And as we do, I would invite you to take a moment just to ask the Lord to search your heart, show you anything in your heart that may be um, unconfessed sin, unresolved sin in your life that you need to do business with today. And so as we prepare the table, I'll begin with a word of prayer, and we'll enter into this season um, in that way. So would you join me in prayer? Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for your promises, and I thank you for the, I thank you for the way in which you brought the nation of Israel into, into the land, and you reminded them of your faithfulness. For that year, they ate the produce of the land of Canaan. Every, every piece of fruit, every vegetable, Everything was a reminder of your faithfulness. Lord, as we gather tonight and gather around the table, the fruit of the vine and the bread are just symbols, but they are potent reminders of your faithfulness, of your promises, of the good news of Jesus. So, Father, I pray in these next few moments as we, as we watch, as we prepare, God, that you might indeed prepare our hearts to receive these elements. In Jesus' name I pray. Thanks for listening. If you would like more information about Chattanooga Valley Baptist, check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org. If you would like to join in person, we worship every Sunday morning at 1045. We're just minutes from downtown Chattanooga. We hope to see you soon.